Amen. Please be seated. In my Bible, the heading of our gospel text today is The Faith of the Canaanite Woman. I wonder if you had to assign a title, would you name this section something similar? The Faith of a Canaanite Woman is an accurate title, so perhaps you would. But i got to tell you, if you chose to name this text, Jesus treats a Canaanite woman in a condescending manner, I would find it hard to disagree. If you were listening to today's gospel text, Jesus sounded uncommonly dismissive. You could say that Jesus sounded harsh, perhaps even rude. But words like dismissive and harsh and rude, this is not how we usually describe Jesus. He's not dismissive to those in need. He comforts them. He's intimately available to those who cry out to him. He's not condescending or unfeeling to those who seek him out and beg for his mercy. No, he's tender to those who seek him. He delights in granting mercy to those who ask. And the Canaanite woman seems to fit into every single one of those categories. Her daughter is possessed by demons. Newsflash, Jesus isn't a fan of demon possession. She's in desperate need of his help. She's crying out to Jesus and seeking his hand in favor. She is the definition of someone that Jesus would welcome with open arms. The definition of someone Jesus would help without a second thought. Or so it seems. But if that is the case, if the Canaanite woman perfectly fits the descriptions of those whom Jesus helps, then how is it even possible for these verses to sound so cold? How is it even possible for Jesus to sound as if he's being dismissive and calloused? In the time we have this morning, I want to try to answer some of those questions. And I think the answers begin to emerge just before our gospel text opens. In Matthew 14, in the feeding of the 5,000 and the miracle of walking on water, Jesus demonstrates to the disciples that the needs of the world and their capacity to meet them are severely disproportionate. But all they need to do is give what they have to Jesus and he will multiply it in ways they can't imagine. Christ shows them that he can do what seems impossible. And if they walk with him, they will be capable of of that which is impossible to achieve apart from him. Even the very last story of chapter 14 shows that to those in need, even the fringe of his garment is enough. Jesus seems to be teaching everyone that he is more than sufficient to do more than they can imagine. But as chapter 15 begins, the story shifts from that. There's a sharp disagreement over first principles. On one side, we have the Pharisees. We have those who cite the traditions of Israel as their guiding principles. And on the other side, we have Jesus, who sees not the traditions of Israel as fundamental, but the commandments of God. You see, the Pharisees had watched the disciples break the traditions of Israel. The disciples were eating without washing their hands. And this absolutely appalled the Pharisees. And on the surface, it seems like the Pharisees have a point. Eating without washing your nasty hands is, in fact, gross. But if washing your hands before eating is such a reasonable concern, why does Jesus push back on the Pharisees at all? Well, Jesus isn't disagreeing with hygiene. Jesus is pointing out that while the disciples did break the tradition of the Pharisees, the Pharisees broke a deeper and more fundamental reality. The Pharisees might have kept with the traditions of Israel, but they had forsaken the very commandments of God. 
And after telling the Pharisees this, Jesus then calls the people to gather around him and he begins to explain his critique to the Pharisees. The summation of his teaching is this. Eating with unwashed hands does not make you unclean before the Lord. But if your heart produces filth, if your mouth spews garbage, those things do make you unclean before him. And the Pharisees don't seem to notice this distinction or even care that it was made. After hearing this strong condemnation of the Pharisees, do the disciples have a moment where they question themselves? Do they look into their hearts and ask the question, am I like that? Do I value that which is superficial while ignoring that which is fundamental? Am I concerned at all about breaking the commandments of God? Or am I just preoccupied with the window dressings of things like traditions? So which one? Which one do the disciples choose? Well, here's what happens next. Then the disciples came to him and said, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Do the disciples sound introspective about their sin before the Lord? Or do they sound concerned that Jesus had offended the keepers of the traditions? Yeah. It's obvious that the disciples are just as blind as the Pharisees, just as wrong about what makes you truly unclean. So what does Jesus do? How does Jesus respond to his disciples who make the same mistake as the Pharisees? Well, as our gospel text opens, we get our answer. Jesus takes his disciples into a land they would have considered unclean. A land that was full of Gentiles, a land full of idolaters and blasphemers, a land that the keepers of the sacred tradition would not dare step foot. Jesus took his disciples into the region of Tyre and Sidon. And they didn't have to wait long before something happened. A Canaanite woman came to Jesus and cried out, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. The word mercy here is the exact word that Jews used to describe the covenantal mercy of Yahweh upon them. So this wasn't just some generic mercy she was asking for. This unclean Gentile woman, not from the chosen people of God, walks up to the Jewish Messiah and asks to receive the mercy promised for the people of God. This woman had already shown more faith than Jesus, had already shown more understanding in who he was than any Pharisee in Israel. She had even outclassed the disciples in her faith and knowledge. But the Bible says Jesus did not answer her a word. To make matters worse, she apparently begins to annoy them. So the disciples finally ask Jesus, man, send her away. But Jesus doesn't. Instead, Jesus tells her that he's only come for the lost sheep of Israel. And the woman responds to him by coming before him, kneeling down and said, help me. If you read this in the Greek, the word for kneeling is the word worship. The word used for help is the word rescue. So this Canaanite woman dropped to her knees and worshipped Jesus and said, Lord, save me. And then Jesus said what seems to be one of the most harsh things you'll ever hear him say. And he answered her, it's not right to take the children's bread, throw it to the dogs. Ouch. 
while still kneeling, while still worshiping Jesus, the woman replied, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She understood that Jesus had come for Israel. She understood that those seated at the Messiah's table were from Israel. And being a Canaanite woman, she did not fall into that group. But she also knew she didn't have to be at the table to receive what she needed. Even if she touched the hem of his garment, even if she received just the crumbs from his table, that would be enough for her. That would be enough to help her demon-possessed daughter. She didn't have much going for her, but she took what she had to Jesus. And what did Jesus say to her? O woman, great is your faith. Be it done to you as you desire. And in that moment, her daughter was immediately healed. So what is, what is going on with all of this? In the ending of the text, it seems like Jesus had every intention of giving her what she needed from the beginning. It seems like he had every intention of healing his, her daughter from the start. It seems like he had every intention of helping her. So why play coy at the beginning? Why didn't Jesus just immediately heal this woman's daughter the moment she first asked? I think the reason Jesus doesn't answer her immediately, I think the reason Jesus said he came for Israel alone, the reason that Jesus points out that she's not even sitting at the table with him, is because Jesus wants to show his disciples what the traditions of Israel would have him do in this situation. Jesus began their interaction by treating her exactly the way the traditions called for, silence. Jesus began by treating this Gentile woman no differently than a Pharisee would, no differently than his own disciples would have. But the faith of this Canaanite woman was more true and more potent than anything he could even find in Israel. This woman was deemed unclean by the traditions of the Pharisee, but she was on her knees worshiping their Messiah. She wasn't clamoring for a seat at the table. She wasn't interested in prestige or clout. She was content to receive whatever Jesus gave her. This woman's faith was the very way Jesus taught his disciples the same lesson he tried to teach the Pharisees. The traditions of Israel did not supersede the words of God. Yet this woman, yes, this woman was unclean, but so was anyone who did not repent. Yes, he had come from Israel, but the king of the Jews would also be the king of the whole world. Yes, this woman was crying out and making a scene. She was screaming for Jesus to rescue her. If only the Pharisees would do the same. If only his disciples would as well. I think this is a message that the church needs to hear on a regular basis. Traditions can be a good thing. I would argue that traditions are a necessary thing. When rightly employed, a tradition accurately manifests the commandments of God. But when a tradition is clearly contrary to the word of God, you must remember the lessons taught here. The commandments of God are not superseded by the traditions of men. The Pharisees and the disciples, they had a hard time imagining someone like a Canaanite woman being counted among those favored by the Messiah. And if we're not careful, that mistake can be made by the church today. Have we counted out those who don't fit neatly into our definitions of decency? 
Have we excluded someone as a brother or sister in Christ because of how they appear? Because if we have, the Canaanite woman has a lesson for us. If someone is on their knees worshiping the Lord Jesus, if they are repenting of their sins and crying out for His rescue, no matter how they look, no matter how uncomfortable it may be for you to see, that person is your brother and sister in Christ.